This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. Well, the type of cancer a, p- a person has and how it gets treated is no longer simply about where in the body the cancer began, such as in the lungs, the breast, or the colon. Today, more than ever, when doctors decide how to attack a cancer, they do so armed with a wealth of knowledge about the specific molecular and genetic makeup of their patient's tumor. Here to explain more about this is Dr. Stephen Graziano, professor of medicine specializing in hematology-oncology at Upstate's Cancer Center. Welcome, Dr. Graziano. Thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. So our approach to cancer treatment these days is much more personalized and specific to our own particular makeup. Help, Help us understand what exactly we mean when we say personalized medicine. Well, I think personalized medicine has been around for a while. Uh, it's undergone some changes in, in name, perhaps. We've always tried to tailor treatment for the specific patient since uh, I've been involved in oncology. However, over the past few years, our um, ability to uh, type, the, type tumors has improved to determine specifically which um, genes are abnormal, which molecular abnormalities are present, has allowed us to uh, target therapy for those specific uh, abnormalities. So we were able to tailor treatment more for patients um, than, than we did perhaps 20 years ago. So what, when we talk about personalized, or in this case, targeted therapies, and we'll get into that a bit more, what is it, what, what kind of um, things does that include when we talk about a cancer treatment plan or a screening plan when it's personalized? What does it include? Sure. Whenever we see a new patient, we basically uh, start with an accurate diagnosis, which is usually based on a biopsy and a a pathologist's review of the slides under the microscope. But beyond that, uh, tumors are um, sent to uh, a molecular diagnostics lab where a certain percentage of patients may have uh, molecular abnormalities that um, are targetable. Um, For instance, in lung cancer, Probably about 15% of patients these days have uh, either um, a mutation of a gene called epidermal growth factor receptor, um, and about 5% of p- patients have a rearrangement of a gene called ALK, ALK. And we have specific oral treatments for those patients that are very uh, effective. So these days, the technology is such that we can actually, first of all, take a tumor, analyze what it's made up of, and then also take a look at, we also have have begun to develop specific drugs that now can attack that particular type of tumor. That's correct. correct. And that's really what we're talking about when we say personalized medicine, those that's right. That combination. Now you can you can uh, make the analogy to breast cancer, where for many years we've we've treated patients based on the hormonal receptors, and a, a gene called HER2, which has really dramatically altered the treatment for breast cancer. So we're getting more and more of those treatments for lung cancer as well. So what it, it basically besides, I mean specifically targeting these things, how has that changed what we've done with cancer therapy? I think a lot of therapy now and even more um, in the, we foresee it more in the future, is that we'll be treating patients, as you stated earlier, more based on the molecular abnormalities rather than the tumor site. If you have a, a, a mutation in a specific gene, it doesn't matter whether it's lung cancer, thyroid cancer, colon cancer, 
you'll, you'll treat based on that molecular abnormality rather than the tumor site, and that's, that's a shift. So how basically how is this accomplished? I mean, besides getting a sample of the tumor, do you do other testing in terms of the genetics of the individual as well? That is um, not as far advanced. Um, there are, of course, in breast cancer patients that have uh, BRCA genes, which are you know been in the news and well described, and often leads to you know consideration of prophylactic uh, mastectomies and so some preventive uh, methods. Right. We really don't have that yet for lung cancer. We we do know that patients with a family history of lung cancer have a increased risk. We just don't know what those genes are at this point. It probably has to do with how we uh, metabolize, um, you know, the carcinogens in cigarette smoke. But we don't have that pinned down yet for lung cancer. So what kinds of cancer, you've alluded to a few, what kinds of cancers today are being treated with this approach? Well, I mentioned breast cancer. That's a good good example. Um, um, how about colorectal? Colorectal, yes. There's a gene called KRAS, which uh, does uh, have prognostic significance as well as uh, implications for various treatments. There's a drug called um, cetuximab that we use um, for certain types of uh, colon cancer based on the KRAS mutation status. Uh, thyroid cancer. Um, Lung cancer? Uh, absolutely. Lung cancer. Um, how about kidney cancer? Kidney cancer... It's um, not so much based on molecular profile, but uh, there's been an explosion of uh, treatment options for uh, kidney cancer. It's even hard for a medical oncologist to keep track of all the new drugs that are available, uh, including even uh, the, new, the new immune drugs that uh, have just been approved by the FDA. So what do you see is the, is the greatest benefit of this type of care? I think the the uh, the benefit is uh, you can choose more effective treatments for patients, and of course less toxic treatments for patients. I'm sure everyone's aware that chemotherapy, systemic standard chemotherapy, has been the mainstay of treatment for lung cancer for many years, and now we have options where often patients can take uh, oral medication at home with a different uh, side effect profile, less nausea, vomiting, hair loss, fatigue things that you think of uh, that you associate with chemotherapy. There are still some side effects with these drugs, but they tend to be more, much more tolerable for the patients, more convenient. Are they equally effective, I guess, is the question. They're even more effective than uh, standard chemotherapy in, in most cases. So. so before, instead of trying to hit a flea with a bat, which is kind of what we were doing by affecting the whole body mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, really losing hair and all kinds of other cells that really weren't involved in the cancer. Now you're really targeting very specifically the particular tumor, the particular type of cancer, and less, you're not kind of giving poison to the whole body. That's right. And that seems that obviously it's pretty obvious what that benefit would be. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with oncologist Dr. Stephen Graziano, and we're talking about personalized medicine and targeted approaches to cancer treatment. So what's going on currently in the field? What do you see as right now the biggest breakthroughs and or challenges? Well, I think... um the field of molecular diagnostics is really uh, advancing pretty rapidly, and I think our goal is to try to come up with a target um, that we can attack uh, therapeutically for each patient. 
we still have a long ways to go. I think probably we're only talking about 15 to 20 percent uh, of the pie so far. There's a genetic mutation called KRAS, which is seen in about one out of four patients with lung cancer. Unfortunately, we don't have a good therapeutic target or therapeutic agent for that target yet. And research, but I'm sure, is going the, on. The research at this is point. definitely going on at nice centers we have close to us, like Dana Farber Cancer Institute and Memorial Sloan Kettering. And we certainly do a lot of clinical trials at Upstate as well. So I think we're hoping to design. Uh, more specific therapies for patients going forward. We have a lot of clinical trials going on. One new uh, player in the field is uh, the uh, immune therapies, these so-called checkpoint inhibitors, which have been approved by the FDA for treatment of lung cancer uh, recently. And uh, um, these are exciting new drugs. We've been doing immune therapy research for years, um, but nothing has really made a, a major impact in the clinic until recently. And these Drugs have been compared head-to-head with chemotherapy in the second-line setting, and they're, they're an improvement. Uh, there's better survival and also better tolerability. So less side effects with immunotherapy as well. So the next step with immune therapies is to move those right up front to uh, first-line therapy. And we, we are doing some studies here at Upstate, and many centers are doing uh, studies like that. That had come into the news pretty um, recently when I think uh, former President Jimmy Carter was treated with some kind of an Im- immunotherapy to deal with his melanoma that had spread, I guess. Absolutely. And, and that's, uh, apparently was life-saving, uh, at least according to the press. So that's pretty, pr- and I assume pretty profound. The, I assume uh, the drug is um, uh, one of these uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors. I don't know specifically what he received, but... These are the very drugs that are being tested in lung cancer as well. So what are the major challenges that you face today as a researcher and or a clinician in terms of treating cancer with these kinds of new approaches? Well, I think uh, identifying the patients is the first challenge. You know, whenever you treat a patient, the first step is, as I mentioned earlier, an accurate diagnosis um, and then uh, looking for the various targets accurate staging, and then from there you design a treatment uh, program. For early stage lung cancer, just as a, a general outline, surgery is, is a, still plays a very important role. For stage 3 disease, which is confined to the chest, radiation combined with chemotherapy is, is uh, the usual treatment. When we get to stage 4 disease, that's where a lot of these things come up that we've been discussing. Um, uh, targeted therapy based on uh, molecular abnormalities. Um, Research is showing us that there are, you know, when you build up resistance to these uh, these targeted therapies, there's there's newer drugs coming along that can treat patients that are resistant to the first treatment. So many times we have second and third line therapies for um, patients with the molecular abnormalities. So let me. So I understand as a layperson, what you're saying now is. For the earlier stages of a cancer, as a cancer is being staged, meaning it's less invasive or it's, le- it's spread less, you still will go to the more traditional chemotherapy, surgery, radiation. Absolutely. And those are a proven benefit uh, in, in those patients. At this point. And we'll reserve some of the newer kinds of targeted therapies to people who are in a further advanced in their cancer. Is that yep. correct? But as, uh, I was going to say, is that will that change over time? Where it should. If these immunotherapies prove, for example, to be more effective with less side effects, will these then become the first line even in an early yeah, stage cancer? You're right on target. You know, that's that's the way a lot of 
cancer therapy is developed, it's tested in the more advanced patients, and if it shows effectiveness, then it's moved to the earlier stages where maybe you can make more, uh, even a more major impact in earlier stage patients. So all the therapies we've been talking about have been, uh, are being moved in the research setting to earlier stages of disease. So we hope, hopefully they'll make uh, even more of an impact at that time. So is there a problem with cost, though? I mean, with trying to develop these individual uh, therapeutic agents, as we call them, drugs or whatever, for each kind of a tumor problem, it would seem to be a, a huge undertaking and very costly. Is that preventing some research, I, I for example? I think that's sort of the elephant in the room. I think we, it's something we as a nation are going to have to face because these newer therapies, while very exciting scientifically, are quite expensive. And um, our insurance companies are, are paying for those, but that's, you know, that's why premiums go up. And, you know, I think um, Congress and, um, you know, we'll have to somehow look at this issue because I, I think it's, it's a looming problem for the United States. I think recently in the news there's been talk of Vice President Biden and his last year and perhaps going forward in the future, his going to devote himself, as I think as a result of his own personal losses, um, whether his son to devote himself to trying to convene some of these forces in and trying to get some of this funding um, going for you know all of this very exciting cancer research, so that's hopeful. It I is, think so. I agree. It I, sounds I, like everything is. We're really kind of on the cusp of some very new and exciting therapies. It sounds to me. Absolutely. I want to thank you so much for coming in and sharing it. And you are engaged in some very serious clinical trials right here as well. At, we are. Yeah. And I, I look forward to hearing more about those. Maybe in the future you can come and share some of that specific information with us. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much. My guest has been Dr. Stephen Graziano, professor of medicine specializing in hematology oncology at Upstate's Cancer Center. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.